Updog fella. Look good, feel good, play good. We got some new Adidas golf swag coming the fella's way. I don't know if any new golf swag would help your game, but, but I love it. Adidas is excited to introduce new offerings within the go-to apparel collection that allows you to bring your style to the golf course. Not the traditional golf uniform. Go-to brings a fresh attitude to the game wherever you play. You'll look good on and off the course while enjoying all the technical benefits that let you play your best. Featuring streetwear-inspired style, the go-to collection rewrites all the rules and encourages you to express your style through every swing. Explore the new go-to collection on adidas.com slash golf. Fella. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Updog Broadway, uh, we got an absolute legend. One of my favorite teammates. Uh, we played together on the back end of our careers, but uh, <laughs> yeah. Brian Bigger and McGrath That's Bigger. probably a good thing. I know, I know, <laughs> buddy. I know. I just remember some days I'd come into the rink in San Diego and you'd be like, how you doing, big boy? And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I got to be honest, sir, I'm not doing that well, but. <laughs> yeah. Big boy, where are we? <laughs> <laughs> we, we went from fucking flying on the private bird in Calgary playing cards to sitting in the back of the fucking iron lung, didn't we? Oh, to, and then when that iron lung, I sent you that pick when that iron lung broke down on the highway there on the number five in rush hour traffic. Boys, the Uber or the Uber Eats are showing up to the side of the broken down lung. And then we had to wait like an hour and a half for the new one that was stuck in traffic. And it took whatever how long to get to where we were playing, and we just got rinsed. Like, there's no point of even going to play the fucking game. <laughs> no, <laughs> we, were, we were we were going from San Diego to fucking San Jose, and she broke down about Bakersfield in the middle of fucking nowhere. And, and my back is already in one, and I'm like, fuck, Ern, I got to get off this lung. So we're standing on the side of the fucking five highway. And I'm just looking at the bigger and going, what in the fuck is going on here? But like a um, year ago, we were flying on the on the PJ, you know. And then, then all of a sudden, me and the big obes are on the side of the number five, broken down iron lung, just looking at each other, like, where has my career gone? What happened? We were, we were getting a little more ice time in San Diego than we did in Cowtown, but fuck, we weren't, we weren't enjoying the fire. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Hey, Ern, I just remember fucking. About the second period with that fucking pigeon Hartley, I would just be look look at you. We just take the fucking chin straps off. Eh? We're like, wow. oh yeah, <laughs> just the the grocery sticks. Just look at each other. Oh god. Hey, bigger. I want to ask you and for our listeners. I never asked you this when I played with you. How did you get the fucking nickname, the bigger? And was it from the Kingpin or anything, or how did it come about? Yeah, it was from Kingpin. So when it was my. First year, first year in Binghamton, we were, that's back when, you know, you had six cases of beer on the bus for a two-hour trip. We were all piled up. I think we were going to, it wasn't a far trip. I think we were going to Wilkes, but not a far one. And we threw on Kingpin on the way back after the game. And when Big Ern McCracken came up and threw out the... <laughs> the bowling ball with the flower in it all the boys were like bigger and <laughs> <laughs> at me. so yeah it just kind of stuck from there 
Big Earn, let's talk about that fucking year in bingo. I'm pulling it up right now. Oh, yeah. well, I got it right here, Obes. I was going to ask okay, him Broadway, about that. You go, you ask him. Broadway, Robbie never him. played in the minors, though. Right? <laughs> oh, I did. Are you up. fucking nuts? I was on that iron lung, but it was only fucking Milwaukee, Chicago back. Yeah, you, you played know. on the good side, but I, I you was. were over with the muck on the east. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I wanted to ask you, Big Earn. That 2004-2005 year you had 551 penalty minutes i don't think i had 551 penalty minutes with my college and nhl careers combined i just want to know what was going on in the league then who were you fighting and how many fighting majors did you have that year i think i had 43 <laughs> or i think i had 43 who's counting uh, after majors. i actually 25. had 42 fights i speared eric goddard in the throat so that was my 43rd uh major um but yeah, that year, you know, coming in, uh, it was that lockout season and just the reputation that the Ottawa Senators had, you know, always getting the shit kicked out of them by the Leafs and being a soft team and all that stuff. I figure if I was like super crazy that year, that they would have no choice but to take me on their team after the lockout ended. I mean, I kind of took it to a ne another level. Like, I mean, <laughs> that's, uh, fucking minutes. that's like a fight just, every other night. Yeah, just the amount of and, and the thing on the, the the differences between the conferences back then on the West, it was kind of more the IHL style type system where you had a lot of older guys, better yeah. cities, all that stuff. But on the East, it was crazy. Like, I mean, my rookie year, I was the lightweight. We had Dennis Bombay and Wade Brookbank were the two kind of heavyweights that fought everybody. And I was still getting shit kicked out of me because I didn't really know how to fight. I, I came out of junior you know we fight a little bit in junior but nothing compared to what the pro levels like and it took me a couple years to kind of figure out you know if that was going to be a role for me and then that lockout season hit and I just kind of and I went on a bit of a tear but the the game back then you had legit three or four heavyweights per team like the fourth line was in a checking line it was all the mutants and, uh, <laughs> You know, you roll into to Albany, they had Rob Skurlock, Brett Cloutier, Cam Jansen, you know, Hartford had <laughs> Richard Scott, Garrett Burnett. Uh, like, you, you can just go down the list of heavyweights per team on that eastern side. And I think I got so, like, I got, my, my fighting was really good because of that. I, I always thought the guys in the minors at that time were tougher than the guys in the nhl they just couldn't play as well yeah. like so the guys that i were i was fighting i i would consider them just as tougher tougher than nhl fighters and i think that's kind of what kicked off my start into the nhl why i did so well as a rookie against a lot of those nhl heavyweights and then obi i want to jump in yeah, but yeah. you didn't have hockeyfights.com you couldn't like study any of these fighters you just seen them firsthand when you step on the ice like you'd see three or four fights a night so you're like yeah. okay this is how this guy is going to come at Like me. we didn't have, right. like you said, the, the internet, you know, for yeah. viewing all that stuff was kind of maybe just starting at that time. There was no video, you know, it was VHS tapes and all that stuff, <laughs> right? So, I mean, it's you a fight good. a guy and you, I think you learn by, by getting shit kicked out of you and yeah. what you're going to do the next time and not do it. That's how I learned. <laughs> well, yeah, bigger. And that's what I wanted to talk like. So bigger, and he he had fucking you had third year last year in the all right, and you hurt your knee. Did you get thirty or twenty nine or something I had like 20, that? Twenty twenty and thirty games. Yeah, and some, then, something uh, like that. So 
I tore my uh, tore my ACL and missed almost the whole season. Yeah. yeah, I was I was in the league then. The big urn was high stepping around with Spez. I think it was just. <laughs> yeah, anyways, yeah. I would sit on the power play. Spez would decode four guys and hit me in the back door. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you touched on it a bit, and the thing the thing that I listen, I was before I met you, I would thought you were the scariest fuck. When I met you, I still thought you were scary. But the mindset you had when you fought, you just said fuck it, I'm going in there. Granted, you were good at it. like how long did it take you? To get that, or you just said, fuck it from the start, I'm going to go in there and, like you say, sit in the pocket, big boy. Yeah, that was kind of <laughs> always my style, um, just to throw them. Um, I always hated guys that would hug and all that stuff. I really felt, you know, we got to give the fans some entertainment value for their money, and two guys are going to fight. They want to see you go toe-to-toe. -to -toe. And... Um, you know, it, it, it was really good <laughs> and it was really shitty sometimes. Like I've gotten buckled a couple times, but I mean, that's the, that's the way that that position goes. And I always, you know, even though I was always a top guy, I never ever bragged about it or carried myself that way. I was never super cocky about it because I always knew like that day is going to come that you're going to get your ass kicked. And, you know, if you're carrying that other stuff by the, the cocky stuff, I'm the best, I'll kill anybody, all that stuff, you know, you just look like an idiot. So, you know, every time I've always lost, I've been very humble about it. I've always congratulated the guy that's beat me, and then I try and kill him the next time I fucking fought him. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. And, Ern, the thing I loved, I don't know when you started doing this, but remember when you'd square off, which you typically did in every one of your fights, and you just put the hands on the knees. Hey, you just come out with the oh, hands yeah. on the knees, oh, and I was yeah, like, yeah. When did you start? Was that, that just, just a reaction?" Myself up and kind of pick an angle and the kind of angle I wanted to go on, and I take a couple of deep breaths because, you know, a lot of fighting, and if you really want to get good at it and have long fights, your breathing is the most important part, right? So when I was kind of squaring off, I'd bend down, I'd kind of pick a line that I'd want to go in, and really start to control my breathing because. You know, if a guy gets an early start on me, that's fine because I know that I'm going to outlast him a minute or a minute and a half in. I'll lay the boots to him, and that's usually what happened. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've seen that happen Jesus. on your on your behalf many a times. Yeah, it's wild. Broadway, what do you got? Um, I was just going to ask you about the uh, – I know Oppie was going to touch on it too, but uh, with your role now with Calgary um, – how do you go about like pushing a kid to step out of his comfort zone? Because I know like I wish I did it more. Are you giving these kids advice and tips on how to expand their games? Like I remember one time that like, you spoke about Dennis Bonvey. He came down to Rockford and he didn't tell me like the fight. He just wanted me to add it to my game, add a little bit of confidence. And I go out there and get into a fight. Then two weeks later, I'm called up. And it's just something I wish I did more throughout my career because who knows? I know fighting's mostly out of the game now, but there's always going to be a place for it. And it might be yeah, still yeah, playing yeah. if I fought more. Even though the, that that role is gone from the game, the fighting still it still happens, right? So, you know, I got guys on kind of each level of our organization, whether it's junior guys or guys in the minors or guys here that always want to let me show them tips on, on what they can do, what they can get better at, maybe even how to protect themselves and where to grab if they get jumped and stuff like that. I with the NHL team, it's kind of tough for me to jump on the ice with guys and do that here. You know, you get the media stuff and all that. Like, if I jump on the ice, I'm showing this guy how to fight, you know, where that's going to go, especially, yeah. you know. But when I'm down in the minors, it's cool. Like, we got some some kids down there that, like, you know, we, we got this Martin Pospisil kid. He's, he's a Slovakian kid, but he's a throwback player. He plays super mean and tough. Um, so, you know, showing him some things last year. We have um, 
Alex Gallant, who is one of our real good veteran leaders down there, he, you know, his whole family can throw him, but it's nice to, yeah, yeah, but it's nice to get on there and just show a guy, and I can teach him how to fight a big guy, him being a smaller guy, Um, and then with some of our guys that come out of junior and college that have never been in a fight before, just to kind of show them certain uh, protection techniques and stuff, just so they can have the confidence out there, knowing that they can play any way uh and not have to worry about it you don't necessarily have to go out and pound a guy but if something happens because the american league i think will always be the american league there's always a lot of tough guys down there and tougher players down there and it always has that different bit of an edge uh than the nhl games tend to get out of hand down there still um (laughs) so it's good for our younger guys to to have confidence going in those games knowing if anything happens they'll be okay grats um I know you were fucking tough as hell when you played, but what you've done since you've retired and the latter half of your career when you kind of, you, you battled some, you know, mental health, substance stuff. Uh, I think your toughness that you've shown in this mission uh, post-hockey to help younger kids. And, and when Jimmy just brought that up, I wanted to ask you, like a lot of our listeners probably don't know the role that you have um, yeah. in, in the NHL because it's a new role, uh, a role that I think Calgary brought to you and said, look, we want you to be, uh, ears and eyes in our dressing room on a daily basis with our younger kids and our and our older guys who might not have you know the the balls or the confidence to come and talk about whatever's going on in their lives that bothers them whether it's you know family issues or substance issues or uh, you know things going on in their lives that they just they don't have an out to talk to and and it was impossible for us to talk to a coach when we were when we were oh, kids yeah, or, or, or even part. Or Gratz, even yeah. like the captain of the team, like you felt like, fuck, I'm 22 years old. If I'm telling this guy that I'm, you know, that I have a gambling problem and, you know, I lost a bunch of my money fucking gambling, like he's going to tell on me or, and he's not going to maybe fix my problem. But, but there's so many issues that, you know, athletes and young, young adults and, you know, people that play a contact sport dealing with head injuries and stuff. Um, so much gets, you know, brought to light and can come crashing down on, on guys. And uh, your role with Calgary, I think if you can just kind of touch on it, like it's really, really cool. And, and Jordan Tutu, I, you know, my best friend, he went through so much at a younger age. Uh, you were a big part of his transition and um, you know, helping with his sobriety and all that. And you know, having a guy like you around uh, can just help. So you know, maybe share like that role that you have and, and what it means to you to be on this side of it now and, and helping younger kids. That must be like super fulfilling for you. Yeah, it, it's great. I mean, it is like really fulfilling. I'm going to touch on what you said earlier on, on when we were coming into the league or coming into pro hockey, you know, the mentality was a lot different back then. I would say on both sides of, you know, the drinking culture was was pretty big when I broke into the minors. Um, obviously, moving up to the NHL changed a little bit, but not much. And you know, there was never really anybody to talk to. And and when I have a drinking problem, drug problem, or whatever, you know, the only two people I could talk to are a head coach and a GM, and those are the two last people on the fucking planet I'm going to go and talk to. You know, I've always been a bottom of the lineup guy or extra player in the NHL. And, you know, they, they, the mentality back then, they would probably just view you as a problem. We'll get rid of this guy and just bring another guy up to fill a spot. And you're always so worried about that. Meanwhile, on the other side, I'm, I'm dying away from the rink at home with, with substance abuse. And, um, you know, it took me a long time to figure that out. <laughs> 
And when I was 27 years old playing in Phoenix, I went on a five-day bender, turned off my phone, didn't leave my house, and just locked myself in my room. And that was kind of my rock bottom. Um, figured it out after that and called my agent, called the team, and said, I got to go away and get some help here. And I, I just left it open on, I don't know if I'm going to want to play when I'm done. I got a lot of work to do on myself. If I have the itch and the desire to play, then I'll take another crack at my NHL career but I got to go away for a little bit here and, and figure my my life out and I did and I came back and I missed about three and a half months and I my first practice back I never felt so good I got sent down to um, San Antonio at the time was Phoenix's farm team uh, on a conditioning stint and after missing three and a half months my first practice I never ever in a long time felt that good on the ice i was down for two weeks i got called back up to play the last 10 games um my first fight back was against jody shelley it was awesome and then my second fight was against george peros and i went to throw a punch and he blocked the punch and i completely blew my shoulder out um so i had to get reconstructive shoulder surgery it was kind of the first test of early sobriety on the fact that i, I just had a major setback about four or five months into sobriety. Now, how am I going to deal with that? Because I can't deal with it the way I used to deal with it. And the other thing was, the first thing they give me after my surgery was oxy oxys for the pain. Well, like, fuck, I'm taking those. So my mom was with me to help me out. And I just asked her to dump them down the toilet. And she did. And I took over-the-counter Tylenol for three weeks with the two new screws and new bones in my shoulder. And it was the most painful experience of my life. But um, moving on from that, you know, I was able to play in the league another five or six years and, and, and kind of develop a role. I never really thought I would ever see myself in it. Just as the years got on, the more comfortable I got in my sobriety, the more comfortable I got speaking out about um, how players like me and, and players what we go through, we're no different than any other guys in the team. We, we might have some stuff like going on on our lives, but everybody does. And, you know, I've created a lot of really cool and neat friendships along the way. Like you mentioned, Jordan Tutu is one of my best friends. Um, getting to play with him in Nashville, I got picked up on waivers by the Preds and, and Toots was in early sobriety. I was only clean for like a year and it was, we just kind of leaned on each other through that year and created a really unique friendship. I became really good friends with Nate Thompson, over the last you know five or six years and he's done a hell of a job on the teams he's been playing with um being a leader um and also a leader and, and a face for guys in sobriety you know robin laner has become a good friend of mine too um so you know you're seeing player players year after year coming out and being open with their struggles and actually being such a positive influence not only one not only guys that they play with but also the fans that are watching um because we can help them too with our stories. And moving into the role I'm on with the Flames, um, it's in the it's under the player development umbrella, but I'm in player assistance. Like I'll do a little bit of the hockey stuff with amateur scouting and pro scouting when I'm out at junior games or pro games watching our guys but i go from you know i'll go see our prospects our draft picks i'll spend like a week with them really get to know them explain my role my history my playing career and 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 really trying to create uh 
friendships and 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 a, a unique bond with these kids at a young age and and then steer them in the right direction and the pro level it's a little different because you've got guys that have been around for six seven eight nine years that are vets and we got guys that are rookies and stuff and you know i'll have uh, i do like a speech with each team at the beginning of the year and the flames and the stockton heat when when both teams start on my role why i'm around um and it's not when I talk to a player, it goes from me, from me to the trainer, to the GM, to the coach. No, no, everything stays really confidential. Um, and it's just being an outlet there for guys. It's a, it's a position I really wish I had when I was going, coming through and, and struggling with my off-ice stuff. And then a position that a lot of players, and even guys that you guys have played with, wish a guy was around just to... You know, shoot the shit with, take the edge off. If I'm struggling, hey man, this is what I'm going through. Can you help me out? Can you relate to what I'm going through? Um, and I think just having that around our room has really uh, transformed our dressing room and rink into a safe place where players can come and not have to worry about um, all the other stuff. Just knowing that they're going to have a support network that's been created in our organization to, if they are struggling with whatever they're struggling with, that there's going to be people around to help you, and you don't have to worry about your jersey being taken or your lineup spot being taken because um, mental health and 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 stuff is it's a part of life. It's a part of everybody's life. Everybody has it in their family, um, and it's not taboo anymore. And um, you know, we just want to create the safest environment for our players, knowing that as good as your life can be away from the rink, the better you're going to perform when you come to play. And, um, you know, it's it's really kind of taken off with us. And, um, you know, I've created a lot of amazing relationships with players in all parts of our organization. Was it Brad? Uh, so we had Brad Trelevy. I was there in Phoenix, by the way, when you came back. Um, I remember oh, yeah, the, you I, were. I, I remember, the, yeah, you I remember were. the fight yeah. with, with Shelly. I remember you coming off, holding your shoulder, like three or four games back. Um, so I, I know how tough you are first firsthand. Uh, Brad Trelevy was our assistant GM at the time. Yeah. Uh, was he a big reason why he brought you in? Because Calgary, like just to say, like Calgary Flames going ahead and getting out front of this with, you know, with you and making you part of – uh, their hockey ops is is something I think every NHL team should really look at and find a guy that fits a role that can really help players not only on the ice but uh, get, providing that safe zone. I think that's huge. But uh, I always love Brad Treely. I mean, could you can you touch on probably what yeah, he's been? Yeah, you know that's where the relationship started was in Phoenix. Um, Don Maloney was our, our GM. Brad was our assistant GM, and um, that's where the relationship started. Um, I think it was 12 or 13 years ago now and, you know, kind of stayed in contact throughout the time, you know, I was in different organizations. I'd always bump into Brad at ranks and we're playing with Phoenix. And then he took over the GM job here with my last year with the flames and, you know, playing wise, it didn't really go the way I wanted to, you know, I was 34 years old. I got sent down halfway through the year, but whatever, you know, it happens to everybody. And, um, you know, I had a really good chat with him at the end of that season and said you know i I, i'd like to we had like i said a good chat about you know maybe a potential role but i said listen i i'm not done playing yet i think i might have a year or two left in me and i went played the next year at big oves in san diego and i finished my career off and playing over in england but still kept in contact with the flames kept in contact uh, with brad 
And uh, moving into that first summer off of retirement, uh, they asked me to come in and speak at their development camp to uh, their young players. So I put a presentation together for the team and uh, just kind of left at that throughout the summer. And then at the and then both mid-August, uh, Brian Burke called and said, uh, me and Brad would like to have you uh, have a meeting with you tomorrow if you're available. I'm like, yeah, no problem. And I, I thought it would be, you know, maybe they'd like me to come and do a presentation for the main group at training camp. And they offered me a position. They explained what the position would be. And they offered me a position in the player, develop, player development department under the player assistance role and what it would entail. And if I'd be up for it, if I'd be interested in doing it. And I said, yeah, man, bring me on. I can do it. And it just kind of started from there. I'm in my fourth season now with the team. Awesome, buddy. Yeah, bigger. Awesome. And I'm, buddy, I'm so proud of what you're doing, bud. I, I knew you had it in you and, and um, how great of a father you are and a wife to cupcakes. I want, I want to go back to, to what you said when you made your comeback after you, you went and got clean. And I know you didn't lose this, but were you ever lo- worried about losing your edge? Because I know some guys, I'm, I'm not going to name names, guys I played against, played with, that tried to get sober, and they just lost that that spark and meanness out there. Yeah. I know you never did. Were you ever concerned about that at all, Big Ern? Um, not. There was always a question of would I be as crazy, and I always considered crazy with being a good fighter. Um, I felt after I got sober, I was hungry and I was better. Like I was a way better fighter when I was um, got clean and sober. I was hungrier. Um, I was more focused, more ready. Um, obviously, I was in better shape, better conditioning. Um, but at that second half of my career, like I went on a, I think I didn't lose a fight for six or seven years. And the best <laughs> part of losing that fight, I got buckled. There's no way other way to go down. <laughs> oh, buddy, I know. I, uh, but I'll tell you what. I got a great story. So we're I'm playing in Vancouver, and we're going into the Saddle Dome, and poor Darcy Hordachuk, eh? So we have a pretty tough team. We got Hordy, <laughs> myself, Glasser. So Bigger comes out with the fucking blonde mohawk, and he is just <laughs> drooling over the red line. And I mean, like, There's not I'm, even looking at a pocket. I don't know if he, I don't know if he threw one sauce past the whole fucking war, but he was just working the line. So we come in, we come in after warm up, and Hordy comes over to me. He's like. Hey, I think if we just let the big earn sleep tonight, he's not going to do anything. I'm like, did you see the guy out there? He's fucking jeweled over the red line. First shift, fucking with grind and throw. So I knew, I knew you never lost your edge on that point. But that was the one story I always love telling about the big earn. I'm That's like, Cordy, great. you're not getting out of this fucking bar without fighting. Him. So you should fight him first shift because I'm not fucking fighting. Hey, so we should just let him sleep tonight, big boy. You see that guy? He's jeweling over the red light. Like, he ain't sleeping, but he's sleeping he after the game. Sleeping. But he ain't sleeping. <laughs> So, uh, Bigger, that was always one of the stories about playing against you that I loved. But, uh, Broadway, what do you got? Uh, Bigger, now that you're involved with Calgary a lot, and there's a lot of uh, heat with the Battle of Alberta, can we give us some insider info on, do you think there'll be some fireworks this year? And what do you think of this uh, Matthew Chucks game? Yeah, you know, he's obviously, I would say, the best pest in the league. Obviously, he's a very, very good player. Um, but he does have that that edge to him, the the edge that usually drives everybody on the other team insane. <laughs> yeah. um, but th- it's nice to have that rivalry back. I mean, they had that big brawl last year, the Cassian to Chuck thing, and and you know, you got two very good teams out here now that that's had some extra spark to that rivalry. Uh, obviously, a little different this year with no fans in the building. I think you know, the other night it was it was a back and forth game. It was chippy. There was a lot of goals. Like that place had been rocking, but there was nobody there. So I think 
the atmosphere part of that side of that rivalry is obviously not going to be there this year, but it's je- definitely sparked. Um, you know, he's be some sparks with the Leafs probably with Muzzin shooting that puck at him the other last yep. week. So, I mean, he uh, definitely can. Um, and I think having a guy like that, you know, I, I think Sean Avery is the best of all time in that role. Um, you know, and he's another guy that, that could play the game really well. But obviously, like, those guys can take, hot, like, top-end players right out of the game. Yeah. Just yeah. by little things they do like that, jabbing a guy in the back of the legs or giving a little tap in the back of the nuts after the whistle or cross-checking <laughs> the back, face wash, you know, the, the late hits, the hip chat, you know, all that stuff and the, the chirping and, 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 you know, guys that are really good at that, um, they can take very, very good players on the other team right out of the game because that's all they're worried about is this guy. And, and he's, I would say he's a lead at it and probably the best in the league at it for now yeah bigger and i'm i'm gonna fucking turn the clocks back again here it was seven years ago <laughs> so we had that fucking gong show at fucking vancouver so our listeners were asking me to describe it so and the first thing i said was i came in for morning skate and i had been out i've been out late in vancouver because you know i was playing about five minutes then so i went out a little late and i came in and the look on your face was like santa claus just came down the fucking chimney and i'm like big boy what's going what's going on and you're like it's on today big boy so just for our listeners walk us through it from your perspective because you were the yeah. main reason it went down yeah well we got called in and um you know i think we were on a seven or eight game losing streak you know, we're finishing off. We did the California trip. We lost a couple games at home, did the California trip, got rinsed, and we're uh, hitting Vancouver on the way back in our last game of the trip. And we got called in um, to the office. And Bob, our go- our line had a goal and assist in San Jose the game before, and we only played five or six minutes. And Bob said, listen, nobody else on that in that room deserves to start the game tonight. Um, you guys had a good game and you have not started the game all season. I'm going to start you tonight in Vancouver. And he left it at that. We left the room and I just pulled everybody together. I said, fuck it. Let's just fight on it. <laughs> <laughs> like, who cares if we lose another game? We're not making the playoffs. Let's just fight. And we hate these guys probably more than any other team in the league. And if they dress their fourth line, let's fight them. And Torts got all fucking out of whack on if he would address the Sedins. I, I have never in my career... Yeah jumped a fucking those guys gonna be in the hall of fame i've never fought or jumped a player like that if they would address that line legit i would have dumped the puck in and waited till the next shift to fight (laughs) (laughs) the plan was the plan to fight the fourth line not the sedines and torts got all out of whack all out of whack but anyways they dressed the fourth line and I was like, game on, baby. And and the and the, <laughs> the ref on. didn't know what to do because I was about 20 feet away from the Sestito with my gloves on my fingertips. Yeah, oh yeah. Kevin Leftgard was holding his stick like a golf club trying to take – he's never taken a draw in his life. He's holding his stick like a golf club. The ref didn't know what to do. BS is coming in and out. The deer were getting ready to fight each other and all that stuff. Anyways, the, the puck drops. We fight. And they're all pretty good fights. And uh, we get to the box, and they're like, you know, Jones, Butler, uh, Westgar, and the other yeah. D man. You guys are out of the game. I got oh, to yeah. stay in the game because tech- <laughs> my, my gloves hit the ice first. So technically, I was the first fight. Everybody else was a secondary fight. So they got booted. I planned the whole thing and got to stay in the game. And um, 
anyways, period ends. I'm right behind the big old. Big Obes is first in the room, then the coaches, and then I'm walking and and into the room and Torts isn't a big guy. And I feel this little nudge by my elbow. I look down, it's Torts. <laughs> He's like, fuck you, Bob. I'm gonna fucking kill you, motherfucker. I'm gonna fucking like, so I just stiff armed him right out into the wall and like the, the glove dryers right over the glove dryer. And I got Torts kind of pinned against everything and all the other coach you couldn't see their coaches are down the hallway and I and I was gonna drop my glove and, and drop Torts. <laughs> <laughs> but in, I was saying that in my head and the other thing I was saying like there has to be a camera somewhere. Yeah. So I was like looking down the hallway and like looking at the door, looking down the hallway, I had no idea that camera was on the roof. You did Like I had no clue. Oh. So anyways, I, I was saying, should I hit him? Should I not? Should I hit him? And I'm like, man, if I drop a coach right now, like, it's- <laughs> <laughs> might buy and another I, five and, years in the league. So I, I'm glad it ended the way it did, but nobody knew that camera was on the roof and the only reason the camera was on the roof because it was hockey night in canada that's the only yeah. reason they put the the only games they put that camera there getting guys coming in and out of the dressing room <laughs> yeah so i, I mean um it in hindsight great. yeah I'm, I'm i'm glad it ended the way it did um yeah, I mean, I'm not I'm bigger, and I'm not glad. I wish you would have let fucking. I wish you would let Torch in. And, and the other thing is, I, I should have let him in the room too. Is looking back, go and get that guy, please. Just yeah, do it. I know. At that point, at that point, at that point, bigger didn't quite know. Hartley wasn't quite a complete fucking dick to bigger yet, which he did later in his career. But the thing I remember the best about Earn was. He comes in, he goes, big boy, I started that whole fucking thing. I'm still out here playing, big boy. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, started the I whole started thing the whole fucking playing. thing. The fucked up thing is everybody gets kicked out of the game, and I'm still getting a shift, uh, one shift every eight shifts. Oh, and we got fuck. fucking less than half a bench. I was like, come on, but, man. But I know. I go the other way. I go from fucking staying out fucking past curfew in Vancouver to thinking I'm playing four minutes. I play like 24. I'm out there just fucking dying. Yeah, I, think, like, I think TJ Brody almost had the record um, for oh, ice yeah. time that night. I think he missed it. By a, like, I think he played like 38 or 39 minutes. Wow. Oh, yeah. They still, did, wow. they still wow. didn't want to put me on the ice bigger, but they didn't have a <laughs> fucking me choice. And you were still park. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, bigger. I mean, I loved playing with you. And this kid that you know way more than I do now, Sean Monahan. I loved Monty when he was a rookie with us. I remember, like, after two or three months in the season, we finally had to go to him and be like, hey, Monty, like, you can talk a little more than you're talking, buddy. Like, we know you're, you proved that you're a good rookie. Oh, yeah. Just, the just best part, you. Monty always brings it up because me and Obes were always really picky on, on what designer suit you would wear. <laughs> and, you know, you get the guys coming right out of junior or whatever and crack open his suit pocket. It says like a Morse <laughs> or whatever, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So we, we get on the, and we're starting like a, our first long road trip of the year. And uh, we get on the, on the plane and they're going back to sit by the card table. I grabbed a handful of blueberries and I just, Hey Monty, what's up? He turned around. I just smeared them all over his white shirt. I'm like, go get a better shirt when we get to fucking LA. Bud. <laughs> How about the time you punched when we were playing poker and you punched your hole right through the fucking top of the So we're playing poker in the back and like when I would go on losing streaks, they'd be epic losing streaks. And you know, I'm losing the whole trip, whatever. Lose a big hand and I'm like, fuck, and I punched because guys would always like 
kind of hit the table or the the window a little bit and i was like fuck i put my hand right through like the the fucking overhead the storage you put it right uh, through the, the whole fucking the, ox the oxygen mask coming, coming down. down yeah yeah so and then three oxygen masks popped down right? <laughs> <laughs> i didn't know that those panels on those planes are like 20 grand because they're all fire tested and all that stuff like the the plastic that they use is like the highest that i had no idea so i'm shitting myself <laughs> Fuck right? trying, we're trying to get a story together and the and the the stewardess come by and she's like oh my god what happened i'm like listen i just want a huge hand i got up to celebrate and i put my head through the thing she's like no way no way all the oxygen oxygen masks are dangling anyways and i ended up having to pay for it but i was like shit my pants the rest of that trip i'm like that's my luck i go from losing like a you know, a fifteen hundred dollar hand that costed me over twenty grand for this this plane panel. <laughs> hey, I gotta touch. I I, I want to say this. That same year, I don't know actually. So the year I played with you, we had Todd Fedork. We had Fridgey on our on our plane, and he he would go on some streaks too, where he'd fucking just be the shittiest poker player. He lost <laughs> he lost this bad. He lost a bad beat, and he fucking. I wish he punched the roof. He punches the window. And the fucking thing cracks like right, right down Broadway. I'm looking at this window, just ready to just get sucked out of the fucking airplane. We're we're forty two thousand fucking feet up in the air, and he cracked the window in half. Now there's like two different planes to it, so thank God it didn't go through the, oh, through the yeah. whole thing. That was that was always my move was to punch the yeah, punch the, the roof. Yeah, yeah, smart. Don't hit the window. Fuck. Bigger, and I gotta tell the story here. We're 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 back down the junkie junkie in San Diego, and it's me and you at the back of the bus, right? So, bigger, bigger, <laughs> big, bigger, and had the seat that was was right beside the pisser. So he put his feet on top of my headrest, and I would sleep the other way. So at the start of the fucking road trip. And, and everyone's obviously know who's bigger and bigger is like any of you boys up there got a piss you fucking pissed right now right so about, <laughs> ten, about 10 games in 12 games in dally comes to me he's like hey you gotta tell bigger to tell them that they're joking around because these guys are not taking pisses on the bus they're gonna fucking piss their pants. <laughs> yeah like a, you have like a lineup of like three or four guys like just kind of on the tiptoes like this because they had to pee so bad but like man there's nothing worse like when you're trying to shut her down Oh, got fuck. guys are tapping your legs to move your feet. I just kind of got old by the like you know a month, two months in the season. I get on the bus or like, boys get your fucking pisses in now because the bathroom's <laughs> closed for the next six hours. <laughs> I love it too. Vigor would just go, boys, like every every 30, 45 minutes, he'd be like, "Big obes, we there yet?" <laughs> I'm like, "No, eight more hours, big boy." <laughs> he goes, "We there yet?" But um, it was you made it more enjoyable, bigger. I think having you down there and like Bix too, a veteran guy a lot more because yeah. fuck it was it was tough some days traveling down there yeah and it was and we locked out arguably i would say that would be a top five nhl city um yeah. locked out in the best american league city in the history of the american league yeah uh, it was amazing playing there but it just got kind of monotonous with that california you just play the same teams all the time and i think they fly now yeah, um, they, they fly now but you know you jump on the bus in san diego and you got a bus up to san jose and stockton and that you know there's about a four-hour stretch of that highway where that traffic doesn't move all day and yeah so the bus trips were, were long but it was a super it was a wicked year playing there like oh man i'm glad i got an opportunity to play there because that city's amazing um yeah you know then the fan base was sick too 
Um, Fuck, it was Friday nights were $2 beer nights there. Remember how fucking pinned everyone would get in that bar? And you'd, <laughs> oh, we'd just, yeah. Bix would go out there and get in a fight. You'd do your thing. It was just like, I'm like, this is fucking slap shot fucking free right here right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Broadway, what do you got for the big urn? Um, we, we touched on it a little bit with uh, Daniel Carcillo, and this goes back to like the fighting with like the stage fighting and how some guys would have the anxiety. You said you were obviously very relaxed, but did you ever experience that throughout your career, knowing you're going into a game and you're going to have to fight the other team's toughest guy? Yeah, and- I would say you- earlier when I was younger, um, for sure. Um, definitely in the minors, um, having to fight guys that are – very skilled at that craft that are 27 28 29 years old you know um and then getting into the nhl too my rookie year because you know i'm fighting guys that were kind of like my heroes like i love ty domi ty domi is arguably him and wendell clark like i would go up a leaf fan and him and wendell clark like my two favorite leafs ever and uh like i loved ty domi growing up he was loved them and then i fought him and i beat him in toronto and that kind of solidified my status on my team where I got the letter in my little cubby hole in my mail slot the next day to get my own place after that fight. Um, I, fought him in, I fought him in Toronto. But even when I beat Ty, I didn't really say anything after. I was super humble about it. Um, obviously, you fight. I would say he's a legend in that category, in the, in the heavyweight category. And even when I beat Ty, I was super humble about it because I knew that I would have to fight him again or or, or the the tape was out on me that, you know, there's this big young kid in Ottawa that all the other guys in the league are going to want to fight me now. And um, so throughout the that season, obviously a little bit of anxiety, getting ready to play games and, and fight these longtime NHL enforcers. But once I got more comfortable as the years went on, it, it became I, I just – was more relaxed, more focused. I, you know, did a lot of breathing training, um, some martial arts, some boxing stuff um, to really help me out. And, you know, the confidence has kept growing year after year. But, yeah, I have felt that. And I really feel guys that had to, to feel <laughs> that anxiety and all that stuff going into that role because I know how hard it is. And anybody that's ever done that role, I don't care if you won – 100 fights or have never won a fight in your life. If you have the balls to step up and do that role, you have the utmost respect from me and probably anybody else has ever done that role because we know how hard it can be on guys mentally. Like there's guys and they've been very open about it that, that would not sleep for two or three nights before a game because they knew they would have to fight a Derek Bugard. They would have to fight me. They would have to fight Ty Domi or Derek Cairns or, George LaRock or Donald Bashir, like, and it would really, really weigh on guys. And I think that's where you see, you know, a lot of the substance abuse stuff come in to help medicate the pain, medicate the anxiety and all that stuff. So, you know, the role definitely has its negative, negative side to it for sure. Another great big earn quote in Vancouver. I don't think it was the night of the brawl, but he goes, after we have pregame meal together, he goes, hey, big obes. Who's going to have a better pregame nap today? Me or big Tom C.S. still? I'm going to say your head's going to hit the pillow a little bit better. Than I'd always big say Tom. that. Like, you know, I think that was, you know, being a little bit, ah, I was just joking. With my you were just team, joking with the boys. It was just funny. I would ever get would be in the room and whatever guy was coming into town that, that yeah, game yeah. or that whatever, I would just say in the pregame, hey, 
boys, who's going to have a better free game than <laughs> Big Earn or Big Thompson Steedle? <laughs> oh, fucker. I, it, you weren't being cocky. You were just having fun with the boys. But it was it's true. Even in, I was never at your level. But when I was a rookie, my pregame naps being like, holy fuck, it's, you know, it's just, I really have to do this tonight. So... Bigger, and we could do this all day with you, buddy. Uh, we're all—I'm so proud of you. Everyone's proud of what you're doing now. Um, I miss the high steps with the white skates, buddy. I, miss oh, I still got proud. it going on the outdoor rinks, big boy. I've been trying to show Gabe. We've been high stepping. We've got an outdoor rink around the corner. I've been showing him. <laughs> That's good because you have the best high steps in the game. I always said that. Those wet jets were. Um, so thank you very much. Say hi to Cupcakes and the Gabe man for us, Bigger, and you're a legend, buddy. And uh, we love you here at Mr. Curfew. All right, boys. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Gratz. Yeah. Thanks for coming on. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen. Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups. It's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com.